Wow, is that great or what? Jeez, that you was guys great. are so good. They're all gone, but I want to say thank you. Um, I mean, it, I don't know about you, but um, worship singing and scribing worth to God, which is really a definition of worship, is uh, a pathway for us. Um, and, you know, at, at our church, I was often on stage playing bass or guitar, and it's so sweet to be in the audience and just be able to receive that and, and give that. It, what a great way to set up a, a night that my wife's going to tell us how to love women. <laughs> Is that what we're going to do? That's what we're doing tonight. Women, are you ready? Yes. You guys, like, go around cheering your man all day? I don't know if I saw any of that happening today. <laughs> yeah? It takes us a while to process, you know? We have to get our heads around it. I Give didn't see any cheerleader outfits either. That's, you know, <laughs> that's what you're supposed to be wearing. Okay, forget that. <laughs> she does have one at home. It's got a big D on it. It's pretty fun. I really don't. You don't. <laughs> it's my fantasy. It's my dream. So, um, so we're going to get right into it because we don't want to uh, waste any time. The women deserve this night. Men, am I right? Yes, they deserve this night. And it's really interesting, you know, when you uh, go to the New Testament, and we've been looking at Ephesians 5, and um, you look at what Paul said to husbands and wives. We, we uh, this morning talked about husbands, love your wives. That's what we're going to do tonight. And wives, respect your husband. But I don't know if we ever have really read it to understand, okay, what did Paul really say? What's really interesting is you might, you might uh, agree with this. There are a lot of men that know one verse in the Bible. They know one verse. They've like committed it to memory. Anybody know what it is? It's in Ephesians 5. Yeah, wives, submit to your husbands. It's Ephesians 5.22. Trust me, we're not talking about that verse tonight. But that's like, yeah, I know the Bible. It says, wives, submit to your husband. I go, have you read the rest of it? No, I know that verse, and that's all that matters. Well, guess what? There's actually 11 verses written in that section to husbands and wives. Guess how many of them are written to the wife? One. The other 10 are to us men. You understand that? And I think Paul is trying to say something like, I want men to really understand. In fact, let me read you what it says, and then we're going to talk about this a little bit, but in verse 25, it says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Preach. <laughs> and I could. I just uh, spoke at a church in Orlando uh, without Anne. I wish she would have been there. But it was like I was going after us men to say, do you understand what this means? Because I, I got to be honest, I had no clue. When we got married, I thought I knew how to love her, and I was going to be the greatest lover in the world. I don't mean sexual lover. I mean lover, that I was just going to love her, and she's just going to be so, she's going to be so grateful to be married to such a great man who loves his woman like no other man loves. And I found out I had no clue. She told me that. I had no clue. <laughs> I really didn't have any clue, and I didn't know what any of that really meant. And by the way, as you look at that, you realize Paul isn't suggesting something he is commanding something, and we said it this morning, but it's like the, the unchurched or the non-believing world should be able to look at Christian marriages, and they should see this. Every woman, I think, that's not a follower of Christ should want to become one because she sees the way Christian husbands love their wives. I don't know if that's what, what's going on, but I think that's sort of the, the vision. Then you get to the end, 
of that passage, and we looked at this this morning, it says, however, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And so we're going to talk about, okay, so what does that look like? And so here's, here's what we really hope to do. I said, you know, there are three sort of uh, cheer moves this morning. Tonight, there's going to be four moves, and they're not cheer, because I think this, um, I don't know about you, but I'm guessing you're wired the sort of same way I am. When I think of love, the word love, I think it's lost its meaning. We don't really know what it means well, and that's to love. The beauty of the Hebrew language, too, is that they have different words for love, you know, and the word agape, that unconditional love, is the way God loves us. And so we aren't very specific in the English language of what love means. Yeah, I mean, we say we love, like today, I, love, I love myself a chocolate, whatever that was, malt. malt crunch milkshake. Anybody get one of those? They're awesome. They and I say I love ice cream and I love the NFL football and I love Ohio State, got beat today. That's my team. I can't believe they got beat. But, I mean, we just throw love away I mean, around like that. So here's what we do. I took the word love and I said, here's, I don't think we understand love, but here's something I think men understand. Cherish. In fact, later in the passage, he says, husbands, you're to cherish and nourish your wives. Cherish, I'll give you a definition. Cherish says this. To cherish something is to care for it deeply, to treasure it, to hold it dear. Related words are costly and beloved. Now, again, I'm not saying every guy's like me, but I cherish stuff. Anybody else cherish stuff? Stuff that costs a lot? You protect it. You study it. You take care of it. That's what cherish means. And, and it should be, I cherish my wife. And I do. Yeah, you do. Yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> But it's like it's easy to cherish a car or a TV or uh, I'm a guitar guy, so I have guitars hanging on a wall in our studio, and that room is humidified. I have a humidifier in there to make sure the wood never warps. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So, I mean, and some people do this. You cherish stuff. You take care of it. I talk about them. I show them off. It's like I think, what would it be like, guys, if your wife felt humidified? <laughs> you know, if she felt like she was costly and beloved and you studied her and you talked about her and, and you know, here's the thing, when you cherish something, you protect it. I mean, I have a, a motorcycle in my garage. You're not getting on my bike. Sorry. You're just like, hey, can I ride your bike? No, you're not riding my bike. Why? Because you're going to fall down on the thing and then it's going to, it's like, you're, are you going to play my guitar? No, you're not playing my guitar unless you cover your belt and you're a guitar player. It's stupid, but it's like, you're cherishing this. What if we treated our wives the same way? Yes. And I'm telling you, we long for that as wives. One of my friends, my best friend, actually, it feels to us whenever there's about five of us that have been doing life together as women. We've been friends. We're prayer partners. We know each other inside and out. And when Michelle is with us in a group, often this happens where we're eating lunch, we're all talking, and Michelle will get a little ding on her phone, and she'll look at it and go, <laughs> and we're like, what? Is it Rob again? Her husband, Rob, because he sends her these little things like, Michelle, you're the best wife. You're the best mom. You're so beautiful. Every time. It's sickening. It and is. yet all of us, it is all of us are longing like, that's amazing. And I think every wife longs. And it may look different, too, uh, for and, all And by of the us. way, Rob's in our men's group. And we're like, dude, quit it. 
You're making us look so bad. It's like every day, be sure get to the text, you know. But it's awesome because it really is him cherishing her and because he, he knows. And he didn't used to be like that either. He didn't? Oh, he was horrible. All we've heard is all these stories. Yeah, but I mean, I think we long for that, and it looks different for all of us, but we long to have that. Yeah, and we said the more this morning, every man longs or wants and needs a cheerleader, right? Okay, guys, write this down, or at least log this in. Every woman longs to be cherished. Every wife, and I, and I know there's different love languages and all that, and that's true, but every woman longs. Am I right, women? They long to be cherished. That makes them feel valuable and loved, and that's exactly what Paul is saying, is to love your wife, to cherish your wife as Christ loved the church, which, by the way, if you look at the, you know, what that means, how did Christ love the church? He literally laid down his life for the church. It's like, my, my life is not as important as who I'm laying my life down for. So it's a vision of what it should look like for us to lay down our lives, our agenda, our needs, in, in hopes of cherishing our wife. So we're going to give you four cherished moves, all right? And again, we gave three to the women this morning. Women are more important, so we give four to the guys to cherish your wife. And, and here's what I did. I just put them in T words. Because if, guys, if you're like me, you're just like, just tell me what to do. Anybody like that? Just tell me what to do. All right, so they're easy. They start with the letter T. And again, this doesn't mean this is the way your wife feels cherished. You need to tonight or tomorrow morning say, okay, are these four T's the way you feel cherished? It might be totally different. In fact, it probably is. It probably is. And just, and don't think this, mine have changed over the years. I think at the beginning when we first got married, like it could be romance or whatever. And then we, our kids were little like, man, just vacuum the house. That would be the most loving thing that you could, that's how you could cherish me. You know, so it just changes over time. Yeah, I think vacuum is foreplay. I actually do. So anyway, <laughs> that's what I've been told. So, all right, so the first one is the first T and is simple, time. In fact, you don't need to write these down. They're, they're, they're not that profound. They're simple. But I think what happens in a marriage, and it happened in our marriage, is you pursue one another before marriage, maybe even in newlywed days, and then somewhere in the first year or two, and it may be longer, you stop pursuing each other, at least guys like me do, and you start pursuing your career or outside interests. It's so funny. I got this letter from a woman that went to our church, and she says, I feel like I've been totally duped. Like, I dated my husband for a long time because I was like, Let's, I don't really know what this guy's about. But she said, man, he won me. He pursued me. He went after me. And she said, you know what it felt like? If now I look at it and I think what happened was he was on a hunt. He saw me. He shot me. He begged me. He put me on the mantle. And now he's off to his next hunt. And he's left me here by myself. And she said, I feel like what that guy is gone that I married. I don't even know who he is because now he's pursuing all these other things. And we felt like that. Because when we started that, this church, I felt like, oh, so that's way more important to you than us. Yeah, I mean, you heard the story. Was that last night? Yeah, the parking spot, right? Mm -hmm. That story... And if you remember, it is literally a story of me or her not feeling cherished because she felt like the church was more costly. I have to tell you, we just got this text like maybe an hour ago yeah. from our son. And he said, I'm having this big event and I saved... Tomorrow night. Yeah, I, and there's hardly any parking, but I saved 10 spots and I'm going to put Jenna right by the front door with the best parking spot. And he says, do you think that's the right move, mom? 
I'm like, yes. He, he even put, and Dave Wilson's going to say, you can't do that. And I text back and I said, Jenna, you take that spot. I've learned, you know, I've learned over time. But I mean, I did not know in that moment that that was my wife not feeling cherished. And we do that, don't we? Because I didn't realize I was doing it, and I've done it many, many times. I wish I could sit up here and say, man, I've got this down now. But I have often, you know, went from pursuing her to pursuing my job, other things. And I'm not kidding. I have watched my youngest son who's in ministry, the one who's doing this event tomorrow night, and he's doing it. And I'm looking at him like, dude, what are you doing? You are consumed with your job. And he just looks at me like, uh, yeah. You know what he's saying? I watched you do it your whole life. He's copying. Remember he said the sins of the father? Mm-hmm. That can be broken. But even sins that your, your kids don't know you did, you'll see them do. Yeah. That is a truth that's in God's word that you got to be very careful of. But all I can say is Anne and I, I, I've learned that, man, when we were dating, I pursued her like crazy. I mean, think about those dating days. I mean, I was up at Ball State, this amazing Midwest, you know, football power. Okay, nobody's going with that one. <laughs> we actually did win the Mid-American a couple times when I was there. But I was up there. She's at the University of Kentucky, three and a half hours away. Think about this. I'm a senior. She's a freshman. We're dating. We're hoping to get married at the end of that, that school year. I would play a football game on Saturday as a senior, get in my car, drive three and a half hours to see her for what? Three hours maybe because I had to be back at Ball State and in the training room Sunday morning for injury check. And I did it almost after every game. Seven-hour round trip to spend two, maybe three hours with her and just look at her and go, oh, I love you so much, and then run back. Now, now, here's the thing. That's what you do when you're in love. You just smile and you go, of course you do do that. Well, and then, who you would know, do that? you're married for a while, and I'll text Dave like, hey, could you stop at the drugstore or grocery store and just get milk? And he'll be like, what do you want me to do? You know, that kind of stuff. I have literally said that. <laughs> like, you want me to go to a pharmacy? You can go to the pharmacy. Anyway, it's like... And so, guys, if I'm saying anything about loving, cherishing your wife, I would guess she spells love the way many women do, T-I-M-E. I just want time. I want to be a priority in your schedule. And so one of the things I would encourage you to put down, this is an action step, is if you're not already doing this, start dating weekly. And a date can look any way you want. Because some of you are like, we can't do that. We can't afford that, whatever. It could be a breakfast. It could be a lunch. It could be a dinner. I know there's sitters. There's kids. There's all that stuff. All I know is when we went to the weekend, remember, as an engaged couple, we told you that several times, that is one thing we heard. And I remember sitting there as an engaged guy hearing Dennis Rennie, the president of Family Life, say that you should date weekly in your marriage. And we looked at each other like, why would you have to date? You know, we had no kids. We hadn't been married yet. And now after you get married, you realize other things will become so important that you'll push this aside if you don't lock that in your calendar. And I'm telling you, 41 years of marriage, we have almost dated pretty much every week. No. No, okay. But close. But close. That was bad. <laughs> right in front of everybody. I, I Bam. But, but I think that that priority says that We haven't you, dated once in 41 years. That you like really that. matter. <laughs> and I, so I think that is huge, though. Yeah. All right. You want to go to the second one? Yeah. So the second one is talk. And Dave, ha- he usually says this is Yeah, that's talk. how you spell it. It isn't talk. It's three A's or four A's because men like to talk. Women like to talk about their relationship. <laughs> they do. They write. Well, here's the thing. Dave actually has more words than I do. He'll give me all the things that are going on work. It's awesome. And then on our date night, I'll say, so what do you think? Like, how do you think we're doing? 
and then there's one word left. <laughs> and what do you think it is? Fine or good? Yes. I, and, and it'll ask it with a question like, fine, good. fine, good, you know? And so that part, like he doesn't really want to talk about that. I'm like, oh, we could be better and this is going on. And you feel like you're always in trouble. Yeah, well, and the thing is, <laughs> she loves to talk about our relationship. And I don't because I'm a withdrawer. So let's just pretend we're all good and we're good, right? And I'm, I'm actually okay with that. Any guys like me? We're messed up, okay? You just raised your <laughs> hand and said, yeah, I'm, I'm as dysfunctional as you are, dude. It's like, that's not a good sign because I have learned if I'm going to love and like Christ loved the church, I need to lay down my desire and my need. And here's what I know. She loves to talk about the relationship. So guess what? We're going to talk about the relationship, whether I want to or not. Why? Because that is saying to her, I cherish you. And you guys, I don't know if you've, you've probably heard talks on this, but I really think for Dave and I, we've kind of gotten into our wounds. All of us walk into marriage with wounds from our past. Brokenness. And many times the wounds from our past create this gap in us that I, like, I, my parents never had time. I was the youngest of four. I feel like I wasn't seen. I wasn't heard. And so I have this need because of my past to feel like I'm a priority because I never was. And I think it's good for us sometimes to go into our past to look at that and think, how has that affected our relationship? And I think that's super helpful And, and by the way, I'll add this. The first time I realized Anne's past. I knew her family well. Her dad was one of my coaches in high school. Her brother was my center as I was the quarterback. So I knew the Barron family really well. I never really understood or knew that she felt unseen. She was actually told at the dinner table, she's the youngest, you know, when she started to share a story. Remember, tell, yeah, tell me what was your dad like, said. Like we all sat and my family was great because everybody's talking. And I said, hey, this happened to me at school today. I was in the third grade. And my dad said, Ann, you're, it's not your time to talk. Jim is a senior. This is his time to talk. And that shut me down to the point where I thought, well, everybody's going to be gone when I want to talk, you know? And then when her time came to talk... Nobody was there. And, and I was trained, like, what you have to say doesn't matter. Now, and here's all I want to say about that. I learned this as we sat with a counselor. Mm -hmm. And let me say to this to you. If your wife wants to go to counseling and you don't go... If your husband wants to go to counseling and you don't go, that is saying, oh, you, you think we need to talk to somebody? I'm in. And I know there's so many of us, especially men, it's like, I don't want a counselor. I'm telling you, some of the greatest breakthroughs in our marriage happened when we sat down with somebody, a third party with a biblical, Christian, godly perspective to go, I don't know if you see this. I mean, there were some things that he said to me that was like, I had no idea. And it literally changed our marriage mm -hmm. because we sat down with a godly man or woman who could look at something and see something. So if one, of your, if one of you is saying, I think we need to see somebody, don't be the jerk who says, I don't need this. Be the servant who says, okay, if you think we need to do this, let's do it and let's see where God takes us. That's one of the areas I learned that Anne wasn't being seen and it was a brokenness that she had had all through her life. Let me tell you, when I found that out, I was like, I wanna be the person that makes her feel seen every day so that she feels cherished by me because I'm a representative of her 
as Christ loved the church, I am a picture of Jesus loving her and showing him, showing her what, how much he loves her. And so it's really interesting as you think about this. We actually, early in our marriage, I didn't understand because when Anne would come to me and want to talk, I thought she wanted me to fix or solve whatever problems she had. Yeah, so this, you, many of you have probably done this too. So I'm sitting at the table one day and Dave can tell I'm upset. I'm crying and I, he goes, this is a long time ago. what's going on? And I, I had three little kids, you know, they're all five and under. And I said, I feel like I'm failing as a mom. I feel like I'm terrible at this. I'm not sure what I'm doing. I feel like I don't have any wisdom in this area. And he's listening. He goes, I'll be right back. And he goes upstairs. He's gone for maybe five minutes. And he comes down with a three-by-five card. And it's numbered. I can tell that it's numbered. By the way, this is a really bad moment <laughs> so, in our marriage. Okay, so do I look at it. Do not do this, man. I, do not do this. I thought, he went upstairs <laughs> to write me like a little note, an encouraging note of 10 things, you know, because I see the 10. And he goes, here, I, I think this will help. And I'm like, oh. Look at you. You know, I'm wiping my tears. And, and I, I read it. I said, number one. And I she just read it, it out loud. loud. It's, and I said, number one. And I look at him like, oh, get more organized. <laughs> and I'm thinking, Did oh. Did you hear the women? They just went, they're <laughs> like, so you I'm are thinking, so oh, clueless. surely it'll get better. <laughs> number two. And I look at him like, well, use your time more wisely. Uh, that's enough. <laughs> You and got I, it, all right? I say to him, you don't like, need to tell look at all some 10. of you are like, oh. I said, what, what is this? He goes, I went upstairs and I prayed. And I feel like God gave me these things for you. And I said, do you think this is from God? And he goes, yeah. And I said, this is from Satan. And then I rip it up and I throw it in she his did. face. She did, she threw it right in my face. I mean, how clueless could I be? <laughs> but you really didn't know. So finally, at oh, you're this just being talk, nice. And he goes, well, I don't get it. Like, what did you need? Women, what do we need at that point? Oh. We just like, just sit there and listen to me, you know? Be my partner. Yeah, just let me vent. And so I told him, just shake your head. And it's like a mud puddle. Get in the mud puddle <laughs> with me and just let me go. And so he goes, so you don't want me to say anything? And I said, sometimes. And so Dave has learned. He'll sit down and goes, what do you need from me right now? It's a great question. What do you need from me right now? And I'll just say, just let me vent. And so now tell them what you do so often. I mean, she'll vent and I'll be like, oh yeah, that must, oh, that was hard. <laughs> and I'm not faking it. I'm just, I'm listening. Remember last night, shut up. And li I was listening. It's like, wow, this is really hard. Before I'm like trying to fix it. That's sort of what I do. And that's then what... he'll like put his hand on me like, Lord, thank you for Anne. She's such a good mom. And then I'm like, oh, that's what I needed. It's so awesome. <laughs> All right. So you learn from our mistakes, right? <laughs> and again, that's the uh, talk that makes a woman feel loved. And again, guys, I'm telling you, you need to ask her, are these the way that you feel loved? Because they may be totally different. They may be exactly that. But her nuance will be better than what we're telling you. So first one is what, guys? The T is time. I mean, I want to hear it, man. Give me a little macho, like, get it. First one is time. Second one is oh. There you go, man. We need, to do a, <laughs> we need to do a men's retreat and just do this, Jeez. man. All right, here's the third one. You're going to like the third one, right? First two, you're like, really? Okay, third one is speaking our language. Touch. She wants you to touch her. Non-sexually. Yeah. <laughs> it's not Look at what the women. you think. They're all shaking their head yes. They were all like, what? I remember don't say that. Yeah, Dave, it's I remember not... saying this to Dave. He says, I don't even know what that is. What do you, what do you, even, what are you 
talking about? I and literally said that to her. I don't know I what said, non-sexual wait, touch is. Wait, you don't even touch me anymore except if we're in bed. I said, just like hold my hand or rub my bed. Put your hand on my leg. He goes, why? <laughs> you guys. You don't have to be that honest. Gee whiz. It's like they're in our house. But, uh, and that was a long time ago. That was not in the last 35 years. Um, but yeah, I honestly didn't understand. I, I, I can remember the day she was walking through the kitchen. I think we had really little boys. And I squeezed her butt. And she just turned around and said, no, not, not, not now. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I was just, you know, squeeze. She goes, no, you want sex, right? And I go, no. She goes, uh, yeah, I don't know exactly what it said. She go, I go, I don't want it now, but maybe later. <laughs> and that's the first time she said to me, that makes me feel like a piece of meat. And I was literally like, no, I just, that was affection. She goes, that doesn't feel like affection when that's the only time you touch me. If there's other, and that's where she used the term non-sexual, and I'm like, Non-what? You know, what, what are you talking about? And it's really interesting. We read a book way back there. I don't even know if it's out anymore, but it was called His Needs, Her Needs by a, a therapist in Minnesota named Willard F. Harley. And in the subtitle of his book, listen to this, His Needs, Her Needs, How to Affair-Proof Your Marriage. And his contention after uh, counseling 3,000 couples, he said, this book is 10 chapters, five chapters on the top five needs of a man, five on the top five needs of a woman. And if you don't know these, they may go outside the marriage to try and get these needs met. So you better know what they are. So, you know, and that, I, let me just add a little footnote, too. Um, because that feel, I, any of us could go outside our marriage right. to, because our needs aren't met. Because right. we just can't. It's not possible all the time. So I just wanted to say Yeah, that. it was just, that's sort of what he was saying. You better know what these are. So I pick it up and everybody's talking about it. I'm like, and, and I hadn't even read it. All I did was look at the chapter titles. And here's what I saw. Number one need, according to this author, of men was not respect. Guess what it was? Sex. And I'm like, I like this guy already. <laughs> you know, and so I look at it, and I'm like, yeah, I agree with that. And then I look at the next five chapters, and it starts with number one need of a woman. And I look at all five, and sex is not mentioned. I'm like, what? Not in the top five? So I hadn't read the book yet. I literally walked over to Ann, and I go, look at this. Like, sex isn't even in your top five? And she looks at it, and she goes, oh, yeah, the first three are sex to a woman. <laughs> and I'm like, what are they? Guys, are you ready? You better write these down. Because I memorize these. This I don't is, need to look at my is, notes. This is loving your wife. This is cherishing her. Mm -hmm. And again, you need to ask your wife, is this true for you? But when I asked Ann, she said, exactly. He says number one for a woman is affection. Guess what that is? Non-sexual touch. It's pursuit. It's pursuing us continually. And, and it's all the you things guys, you said earlier. Yeah. Touch your shoulder, rub my back. Yes. And you may not feel like it in marriage. Our feelings come and go, but this kind of thing, we do it as an act of obedience and love to our Father and to one another. Yeah. You know, you don't wait for your feelings to come. This, these are the things that conjure up our feelings and bring them back. All right, guys, you got that? So number one was affection. Number two was conversation. You know what that is? Talk. Yeah, you guys already got it. It's like they long for communication to happen in marriage. And number three was honesty and openness. Yeah, because we want to know you. We want to know what makes you tick. We want to go to a level five of communication of what are you feeling about stuff. And I'm telling you, we're living in a culture right now that is at war for this because our devices we are spending so much time on Netflix, our devices. It just, it just pulls us apart, doesn't it? 
Like, I mean, Dave and I, we're guilty of that. We'll sit on the couch with a phone or an iPad, and it's so easy to not lock in or even to say to one another, how are you doing? Like, what's really going on? How are you feeling? Yeah, and, and I discovered that honesty and openness for our marriage, and I think this is true for almost every wife, and long to know, what am I afraid of? What are my, what are my fears? What are the things that nobody else I would ever share with that only she gets? And by the way, guys, you hear me? You never share these with another woman. Yeah. Never. Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. The women at my church often said, Dave will not even, like, he's aloof to me. I'm like, that's probably a good thing. I'm not trying to be mean, but if they come but up you'll for always prayer, bring another woman I up. pass them over to a woman for prayer. I just never, it was just like I'm protecting this marriage and I'm never going to share my heart with another woman except this woman, and that makes her feel cherished, right? And so as we talk about this sort of touch thing, it does sort of get into the whole area of the sexual part of marriage. And again, I miss this so bad because, and again, I, you know, I said last night, hey, tonight's message will be on sex. Well, it's more about this, but there is a sexual component to this where um, we missed each other in the bedroom in terms of there were conversations where I was feeling like she didn't want to have sex as much as I did. And she's, and again, it can go back and forth in your marriage. It could be opposite of that. But I did not understand when I would complain that I'm, I desire sex more than you do, what she really longed for, because she was longing for this. To her, that really was sex. Yeah, and I think what happens is we can be wired really different. And the way I'm wired, and a lot of women are wired like this, we're global. Every area affects every area. And men tend to be compartmentalized. I'm sure you've heard this. There's so many books on it. My, men tend to, not always, but a lot of times they'll be in one area, but they can compartmentalize it so it doesn't affect the next area. Yeah, women are more like a Christmas string of lights. You know, one bulb's out, they're all out. You know? <laughs> and so I was... The men are like, it's just one bulb. Who cares? We'll move on to this. But. So I was trying to explain this for men. <laughs> And for women, just that men would get this, what we're like, and you could love us in how God has wired us. So I brought some props with me. And it's almost as if, um, let's say for Dave, he knows that this is the night. Hey, we're making love tonight, and this is happening. And so Dave goes into this compartment. By the way, we don't say it like that. Like, hey, we're making love tonight, and this is happening. <laughs> what do we say? Uh, we just wink. Anyway. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> So this, this is Dave. He's in this compartment. He's waiting upstairs, right? <laughs> and so a woman, I have to get some of these. A woman is thinking, okay, I know he's upstairs, but like, what am I doing tomorrow? What do I need to get done? Like, I have to pack lunches. I have, you know, all these things are going on. And so a woman knows that's happening, but she also is like, Man, my house is so dirty. I haven't, oh, oh, oh. I haven't cleaned my house in so long. That's in, my life, in, in your mind. And you're like, oh, man, I've got to, do I have any food for lunches tomorrow? I have to pack lunches. And Dave's going to be on a trip. And so I'm thinking, oh, yeah, he has to be on that trip. And, oh, here's my Bible. I haven't read my Bible, and I have to prepare for that Bible study. And what are we having for dinner tomorrow? I have to figure that out. And, and we haven't done any wash, and I think the boys have, like, laundry that needs to be done. Or, and, and then, and, oh, my mom's birthday's coming up, and my dad's been sick. And, and so, you know, Dave has one thing on his mind. Women. Women. Okay, here we come. So all this is on my mind, and I get in bed with Dave. Here, here I am. And he's like, man, it just seems like you're not into this. I'm like, I'm like... 
does the dog have water? <laughs> and, it, and he's like, he's like, oh, geez. Do you it's know? Like, I'm like, is something on your mind? And then she starts sharing. Uh, uh, is there something on my mind? And then yeah. you're like, okay, there goes that. Hey, <laughs> happening tonight. And, and when that happens, he goes, oh, great. And so then what do we put on? It's another bag. It's called guilt. You know, it's like, oh, I should be this seductress and I should be pursuing you. And I, I can't even put my socks on, you know? And so with Mimin, do you get this? Is this not true? They're cheering. They're clapping. Here, let me, let me help you. <laughs> Men, Guys, you I see what you I'm doing know, here? This is what you need to do. You guys, we did this at a conference. This guy came up to me and goes, I was going to divorce my wife. I thought she was you know, like, I have no idea she's carrying this stuff around. <laughs> and so I said, yes, most women carry this. And so Dave's like, that is the biggest bummer I've ever heard in my life. He goes, so what do we do about that? And I said, here's what I need to do. Like, I'm going to get in bed. I'm going to lay on my stomach. Can you just rub my back? Just rub my back for five minutes, man. And he goes, and, I, and it can't, his hand cannot stay on my back. Do you know what I mean? All right, that's After enough. like 20, okay. it's like 15 seconds, it just roams down, you know? And so, men, I'm telling you, we need to like, just give us some time to unwind. You let us drop off our bags because we as women, we're thinking about our kids. We're thinking about our parents. We're thinking about our marriage. Sometimes we feel more alone in our bed than when we were single because we feel like you sometimes don't hear us. We, don't, we aren't working well together and we feel lonely. And so if you could do this one application, even tonight, you say this to your wife, hun, what's the heaviest thing you're carrying in your life right now? She may cry, and she, I had one couple say, <laughs> the husband said, we talked for five hours <laughs> about this bag. But then he goes, but then we had this intimacy sexually that we have never experienced in our lives. Because it's not just physical, mm. it's spiritual, it's emotional. There's so much more to it. It's so beautiful that God has made it like that. And so I, w I just wanted to share that so that you guys may maybe could dialogue about that. Because it is an important area that God celebrates, but it can also be really hard because we miss one another. Yeah, and I would say when we used to have arguments about the frequency of sexual... And it would go either way, too, because you've had times in your life where yeah, you're super stressed. Where I was less because of stress, but often I was complaining that you weren't as interested as I was. And what I didn't realize until I understood this, what she just shared, it was on me. Hmm. I was wrong. I missed it. I thought sex was nakedness in a bed. It's so much greater than that. <laughs> That's one physical part of it. If I would have been loving her and cherishing her and letting her talk and carrying some of these bags with her and for her, she would have been interested. And I was always like, you're not interested. Well, she could have said, well, you're not making love to me because you think it's just sex. It's all this is making love. And there are times you make love and you sit on the bed and you talk mm -hmm. and your wife's feeling like, now that was an orgasm. In a sense, it's like, you've never done that. You've never sat and talked and just put your hand on my thigh and kept it there and cared. 
I remember one time when her sister was dying, her, her best friend was dying of lung cancer, leaving four sons. And Anne had just come home from being with her for like a month. And I was like, she gets home and I'm like, I want to make love. We haven't made love in a month. And I'm honestly in bed making moves toward her. And she's not interested because she's carrying grief. And I remember just holding her and praying with her. And at the end of that night, we didn't have any sexual thing. It was just like, now that was making love. Because that's what she needed her husband to do in that moment. And I was so about me that I almost missed cherishing and loving her. So, guys, are you hearing this? You know, and, I, and, the, and the scary thing is your wife's hearing it, too. So she knows <laughs> you heard this. So now you're sort of accountable. All right. So we have one, one more T. Let's see if you can remember them without any look. Guys, the first T is? Second T is? Third T is? And here's the last one. If you got a better T word for this, uh, give it to me. But we've been using this for years. It's truth. And what I mean by truth is I think this is true for every Christian wife. She longs for her husband to lead her in the, the truth, the truth of Jesus, the truth of the word of God. I think it's universal. Christian wives long for us as men to be their leaders, to be their protectors, to be their pastors, to be their providers. Again, I'm not saying that's not on the wife at all as well, but I think they long for us to be their partners spiritually. I was going to say, I feel like when we say that, like, men, you're supposed to lead, I think that can feel super intimidating for the guys. Like, I don't even know what that means. I, you felt like that because oh, you totally. never saw it. And I think we as women, we, we just want you to be in it with us. Yeah. You know, we don't want to be the one that's always saying, hey, do you want to go to church? And you're like, eh, I don't know, you know? <laughs> and, and for the kids, like, you want, to, you, you want to pray. And I think we just want our, you guys, let, let's do this together. Like, let's reach the world for Jesus together. Let's raise this family for Jesus together to be partners in it. Yeah, and in, in a simple way, for me, I found it easier to lead at church mm. and harder to lead at home. And again, we're not talking about big leadership. We're talking about just initiate. I mean, even at the dinner table, just say, let's pray. Or before going to sleep, let's pray. It doesn't always have to be her initiating. And again, it, it didn't all, even look like leadership. It's really a, a shared uh, spiritual life together. And I'll tell you, that, and we call it just going vertical. That's what vertical marriage means. But it means just go vertical together. I think every woman longs for that, and it makes them feel loved. Am I right, ladies? I'm thinking that's what, at least what Ann's told me, and we've heard it over and over and again. And we mentioned last night and even this morning that we had a crisis moment at year 10 in our marriage. You heard about year one, which was horrible. It got better, and I thought it was actually really good. And then we go on a date. You're going to see a video right now of a, a family life did a, a, a marriage session called The Art of Marriage, and they asked us to tell this story. So here's... Uh, part one of a two-part story of us going on our 10-year anniversary date that had an, a pretty amazing ending that we'll tell you after you watch this. This is part one of year 10, and it's all about truth. Marrying Dave Wilson was the most exciting thing I could even imagine. I just had these pictures in my head of what Dave was going to be like. He's the hottest, most godly. He's going to lead me spiritually. It was the most anticipated thing of my life to marry him. I was married 10 years, and then we started embarking on the dream of our life. 
which was starting this church. We just had this vision of wanting God to do something great in terms of reaching people. Couldn't believe that God would use us to reach thousands for Christ, and it was an absolute dream come true. The dream started to become a reality, but it was becoming a very difficult reality. I basically got two or three jobs going all at the same time, trying to be a dad, trying to be a husband, trying to live my dream of starting, help starting this church. He was gone more and more and more. I'm at the same time the Detroit Lions chaplain, so I'm leading Bible studies, I'm on the road with the team. And I would say things like, honey, you've got to be here. Like, the boys are growing up, I need you. The boys need you. I'm longing to spend time with you. And he's like, oh, I know. I thought I was doing great as a husband, as a dad. I preach this stuff. I know, you know, what the Bible says about marriage. And I'm, I'm not perfect, but I'm living it pretty good. And we've got a pretty good marriage. I would put my marriage up against anybody's. He would walk out the door and I'd be like, wait, you're leaving again tonight? And he'd be like, yeah, don't you remember I had this meeting and then I have to go here and I have to speak to these people? And I'd be like, whatever. Great, you know what? I'll put the boys to bed by myself again. That's great, honey. See ya. I would have said to you on a scale of one to 10, my marriage is probably a 10. If not a 10, it's a 9.8. And I guarantee you my wife would agree. And I would have probably said we're a one, maybe like a 0.5. Um, and I think he was totally clueless to that, which then that made me even more angry because I'm thinking, how do you not know how bad we're doing? On May 24th, 1990, it was our 10-year anniversary, and I sort of surprised Ann with a 10-year anniversary date. We dressed up, went to a really nice restaurant, and I sort of set it up with the waiter while we were having dinner. When I would cue him, just sort of give him a look, he was supposed to bring a rose over. And so I cued him early in the dinner, and he brought over a rose and laid it on the table, and we talked about year one. He was like a little boy that night, like waiting for the next thing to happen. And I looked over later and he brought another rose. So anyway, every rose was a year and we would talk about that year. He was so sweet. He even planned what he was going to say when each rose arrived. On the way home, I thought it'd be pretty cool to uh, park in the parking lot where we were about to start our church. And Ann hadn't even seen this, so I thought it'd be pretty cool to park there, maybe pray about what God could possibly do. And to be totally honest with you, I thought we should just park. I know Dave Wilson. I knew that there was like this ulterior motive where it's like, yeah, we're going to park here. And, you know, he's all about the parking part. And so um, I kind of knew that was coming. So I leaned over to kiss Ann. And uh, as I, you know, lean over to kiss her in the passenger seat, she sort of pulls away. Ugh. I just was like, I can't even, honey, I, I, in my head, I was thinking, I cannot even go there. So I pull back and I look at her and I say, is something wrong? She looks at me, I'll never forget this, and she goes, well, yeah, there is something wrong. And I'm like, what's wrong? And she says, well, to be honest with you, I've lost my feelings for you. You know, we're sitting there in our uh, little Honda Accord which I don't know how we're going to park in that thing, but that was my dream. And um, she says that, and... I didn't want to bring it up because it was really a great night, and I thought, this isn't the time to bring this up, but he kept pushing me. And, and I said that, like, I've lost all my feelings, and I said, I've got nothing. I've, so got, I, I've got nothing left. So I said, well, what do you mean? 
And honestly, I thought, oh, we've had this fight a million times. And, and whatever I say, you're going to get mad at me. But I started explaining, like, you're always gone. I started out super angry. My anger turned to bitterness. My bitterness turned to resentment. And then my resentment turned to numbness. And I've got nothing left. Like, I, I don't even know what to do because I don't even care anymore. And so here's what happened. When she started to say, you're gone all the time, I literally started to reach into the back seat where I had, you guys remember the Franklin Planner? Where you kept your schedule on a, 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 you know, back in the day before digital. I had my schedule in the back seat and I was going to pull it and open it up and show her she was wrong. I was not gone as much as she thought. That's how our arguments usually went. So I'm reaching like this. She doesn't know what I'm doing. She's talking and the voice of God speaks. And it's like almost audible. It's so strong. But it's just the Holy Spirit who lives right here and right here. Can he communicate? Yes, he can. And I hear him say two words, shut up. And I knew what that meant. It's like, don't defend yourself. Don't even touch that thing. Just listen. That's where we got the shut up thing last night. Shut up and listen. So she shared all that. And then I heard the voice of God say one more word. And he said it three times, back to back to back. He said, repent repent, repent. Now, I knew, and she doesn't know any of this going on. I'm listening to her, but there's this vertical thing going on where I sense God saying, repent, and I knew in one word what God was saying. Because I'm a preacher, and I use that word. You know, it means to turn 180 degrees and go a different way. I knew what God was saying. He was saying this. He was saying, if you think you're going to fix this on the horizontal level, it's never going to happen. This is a vertical problem, and it's a vertical problem with you and me. I'm not in first place anymore in your life. Your ministry is. Your life is. Your speaking schedule is. Uh, I was lukewarm. I would open the Bible not to spend time with God. I opened the Bible to get a sermon that I could go give to people so they'd say, yeah, you're amazing. I had not done that in months, maybe most of the year. And so I was just lukewarm going through the motions. Hate to say this, but a lot of pastors can do that. And so all I know is when Ann was saying all that, Jesus was saying to me, if you get me back on the throne, this has a chance. But if not, it's never going to work. And so, again, Ann's saying all that, and this is going on with me, and so I listened to her, and I said, hey, I need to do something. You don't, but I do, and then we need to talk, and I need to do it right here, right now. And I got on my knees because I wanted to be posture and submission and surrender. I don't know how I did it in the front seat of a Honda Accord, but I pushed the seat all the way back, and I turned around, and I got on my knees, and I repented. And I said, God, you are not first in my life, and I am not the husband and dad you called me to be, and I'm asking you to fill me and make me the husband and dad that I need to be for this woman and for my boys. Amen. And I turn and like, let's talk. And I look and she's on her knees. Which is so interesting because when Dave started praying, if you would have asked me like, what, how could your marriage be better? I would, have, I would have told you, if Dave would get his act together, we could be great. Because I really thought, I'm doing a great job. But soon as he started praying... I was so convicted, and I felt like God spoke directly to me, and I felt like he said, Ann Wilson, I never created Dave to meet all of your needs. He can't do that. It's not his job. That's my job. And I felt instantly like, oh, I've taken my eyes off of Jesus. Have you ever done this? Where you take your eyes off of him, and you put them on your spouse, and you start thinking, you, you should be meeting my needs. You should be doing all these things. And I felt like God was saying, you've made your marriage and your husband an idol. 
and I am the one that will give you joy, contentment, happiness. It's not Dave's job to do that for you. And so I got on my knees and I basically prayed the same prayer like, Lord, we, I repent too. Like I have been putting other things in front of you and I put you at the forefront of our marriage. I surrender everything to you again, Jesus. Amen. And that was the start. That's why we wrote the book because from that point on, our marriage started to change. And it wasn't overnight. It took a while. It takes a while sometimes for feelings to come back. Yeah, in fact, you got to build rhythms in your life daily, weekly, annually, and we'll talk about that tomorrow morning, to live that out. It's one thing to pray a prayer. It's another thing to live out that prayer. And God met us right there. And, and we would both say our marriage was saved yes. on our 10-year anniversary by Jesus because we surrendered. And let me tell you, uh, when you go vertical, here's what happens that's, that's transformational in your marriage. Every couple does this. We try to find life from our spouse. If you ask somebody that's getting married, you say, why are you marrying them? They'll give you answers like, they're the one. We even have a phrase for it. I found the one, right? And then when you get married and they're not the one, you're like, I got the wrong one, right? <laughs> and couples have said to us many times, you know, I married the wrong person. We say, no, 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 you didn't marry the wrong person. You're looking in the wrong place. You're looking horizontal. I mean, you watch The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, not that I've ever watched it, but I get sucked in sometimes. And it's like, that's all they're doing, right? And it never works, it never works. They're like, they're looking horizontal. When you go vertical, what happens? You find life in Christ. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you don't. I'm not talking about church. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about a living relationship with the King of Kings and the God of all creations who died for you, who lives inside you. It's real, where he fills you. Now, think about this. When you're filled vertically by Christ, you now turn to your spouse in your marriage. You're like, I don't need. I don't need you to meet my needs. I have my needs met in Christ. I now love you as Christ loved the church. It's not about you meeting my needs. I have power in Christ to give my life and lay it down for you. And she's doing the same thing. That's a vertical marriage. And I think that's a secret. Nobody ever talks about and understands. We try to suck life out of one another. When they don't meet their needs, we think we married the wrong person. No, we're looking in the wrong place. And so here's how we want to end the night. Some of you came here, and if you were honest, you are where we were at year 10. You know, you watch that, and you're like, I think I could say that right now. I've lost my feelings for you. And you might have thought it's this, and I'm, this is part of it. But it's really this. That's the, this is the first step. Yeah. And I'm telling you, if you go home tomorrow after this conference, this retreat, with all this good marriage stuff and no Jesus in your life, all I can say is good luck. And let me be honest. It'll last about a week, maybe six. And then you'll be right back in the same rut. And guess what you'll think? It's his fault. Yeah. It's her fault. But if you go home, I'm going to give you an opportunity right here, right now, with Jesus. Because I'm thinking some of you came in and you know about him, but you don't know him. When you surrender your life and go vertical and you invite Jesus to come in and make you the husband that he called you to be, to make you the wife he's called you to be, because you can't do it, but he can give you the power to do it. You go home with Jesus and good marriage material, everything changes. And again, I'm not saying it's going to be perfect and, oh, I just love you so much. It's not going to happen like that. But your marriage is going to be transformed, not by your spouse, but by the living God of the universe. And think about this. When he transforms you and you as a couple, it doesn't stop there. 
it then goes into your family and into your legacy. And I don't know if you remember me saying this either last night or this morning, but the Ten Commandments say the sins of the father will visit down to the next generation. Do you know what the next verse says? Most people don't even realize the next verse, God says, but through those who love me and keep my commandments, I will bless for a thousand generations. All we hear is the negative side. It's like, no, no, no. If you love me and keep my commandments, there is a legacy that goes on and on and on that we're actually going to sing about tonight. But here's what I want to do. To the men or to the women, whoever you are, if you're sitting here right now, and this isn't about your spouse, this is about you, this is your moment to go home tonight and then tomorrow with Jesus. I mean, the day I surrendered my life to Christ, I had no idea that Jesus was probably looking at me and going, Dave Wilson, you have no idea what I got planned. Now we can do it because you invited me in to be Lord and Savior of your life. And then when we did that on our 10-year anniversary, here we are. Who would have ever thought that God's going to use that dark moment in our life to make it a miracle moment to say, I actually wanted you to tell that story so that other couples can hear and learn that I and I alone am the way, the truth, and the life. I died and shed my blood for their sin. It's removed, and they can be clean in me and empowered by my Holy Spirit when it enters them. So I'm just going to pray a, a prayer of salvation right now. And if that's you, don't miss this moment. Don't say tomorrow or next week. This is your moment. I, I, I believe that's why you're here. And let's pray a prayer of recommitment too. Okay, I'll pray for salvation. You yeah. pray that. So Father God, um, in this moment, first of all, I, I, I say thank you for who you are, what you've done for us. We don't deserve it. And yet your grace, your mercy, your love was proven on the cross for us where you died to forgive our sin. And as we repent and turn from our way to your way and invite you in, you become our Lord. And so, Jesus, I pray there's a man or a woman tonight who's saying to you right now, Jesus, I believe and I surrender my life to you right here, right now. God, Jesus, come into my life empower me with Holy Spirit resurrection power to be the man, the husband, the dad, the the woman, the wife, the mom that you've called me to be that I can't be apart from you. So Lord, I surrender my life to you right here, right now. And Lord, some of us, man, we've, we've just been sidetracked and we've drifted. We've drifted from you. We've put other things before you. And um, we've tried to have our needs met through other things and other people. So God, tonight I repent, we repent of that. And we put you back on the throne where you should be, Mm. where you deserve to be. And Jesus, we give you all of ourselves, our marriage, our families, our kids. And Jesus, we pray that you would resurrect our feelings, Mm. our marriages, um, our kids that are hurting, that you would heal them. And God, we just come to you needy people to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the great I am, who has power to change things. And we surrender. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.